hey, hey, um, good afternoon. Could be morning when you're listening to this, could be evening, could be dead of night. But it's currently the afternoon when I'm recording this on a beautiful yet cool Sunday afternoon, April 2nd, here in T-Dot. Um, how is everyone doing? Well, I'd hope. Um, so, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about how I kind of fucked myself a little bit here, okay? Um, wow, I'm really getting into it really quickly this time. Just, uh... Well, in the reason why is I'll explain. I'll explain why I'm I'm kind of, you know, cutting the crap and, and trying to trying to get right to it today. The reason is is because I kind of screwed myself with this format that I've pigeonholed myself into. Um, you know, five picks and then three mentions. So I I've I've. I've gotten to a situation now where with these self-imposed limitations and, and rules for this podcast, I, I've, I've found myself in a situation where I've limited myself to only eight records to talk about. Um, and usually that's fine, you know. I mean, come... Well, not come. Was. I mean, was January. <laughs> That's not how that works. In January, uh, even February, it was almost a struggle to get to eight albums as the the slower release cycles were, uh, as they usually are at the beginning of the year. Um, but now here I am, March, and truly a wealth of new fantastic album releases came out this month. And not only that, but it was one of those months where there was five new Music Fridays, okay? Usually it's four, you know, four weeks in a month, right? Makes sense. But the timing just so uh, worked out that March had five different release weeks. And uh, there was a lot of good shit. So I kind of pondered myself a little bit in the lead up to recording this, how am I gonna deal with all of this music but I can only pick eight albums to talk about? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna cheat this week a little bit, this month, this whatever, this podcast episode, whatever you call it. Uh, simply put, I, I just can't only talk about eight. Um, it'd be doing a disservice to so many records It'd be doing a disservice to you, the uh, attentive listener, and it'd be doing a disservice to the podcast, because it's not fair to leave all these other things out. And I just have so much I want to talk about, you know? So much on my mind. So, this week will be... Fuck! This month will be a little bit different, because, um, yeah... I, I'm just going to talk about as many albums as I want to. <laughs> and you're like, oh great, so we've got a, a, a three-hour podcast episode incoming. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to try for it to not be that long, but I try for it to not be that long, you know, um, any week. 
Any month. Why do I keep calling it a week? Uh, you know, time is just flying so quickly these days that it feels like it was just last week that I recorded. Um, sure. Let's chalk it up to that. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna talk about a lot of records. I'm going to try to keep my thoughts succinct so that we aren't here all day. But again, I mean, I have no control over what I say. I have no control over the way that these things go, the way that the episode will go. I have no control over any of that. So whatever happens, happens. If it is three hours long, it's three hours long. But I hope not. Um, because that would, that would hurt my throat, I'm thinking. And uh, I mean, I've got other shit I'd like to do today, <laughs> to be honest. You know, some chores. Wouldn't mind getting a bit of laundry done. Clean up around the old apartment. So, for a guy that was pretty adamant about keeping this kind of lead, um, kind of to the point as possible, I've already spent over five minutes just talking bullshit. So, you know what? We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna cut the crap right now, and we're doing it. We're just gonna go and talk about the, the albums, okay? You guys good with that? Yeah, 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 okay, great. As always, this is your host, Phil May, saying thank you for listening to PH5. This is for March 2023. We will soon be uh, almost two and a half years into the podcast, which is insane to think about. It's a lot of time me spent just talking to myself. Oh, oh well. I'm gonna have a sip of my coffee, and then we're gonna do this thing. Okay, uh, I'll shut up now. Okie dokie, so, coming in at number five for March 2023, we have Ugly, or U-G-L-Y, by... Slow tie. And why do I, why did I, why did I go ahead and, uh, you know, make sure that I, I called out the letters in ugly instead of just saying ugly? Well, because here's the thing. Uh, well, there's, there's actually, here's two things. There, the song ugly has him kind of saying the letters, right? So it makes you think it's more of like a, like an acronym. And uh, he actually explained what the acronym is. It's uh, you gotta love yourself. Isn't that cute? Ugly. You gotta love yourself. <laughs> That's right, ugly people. Um, you know, self-love is uh, self-love is true beauty, or something like that. So this is Slow Tie's third full-length record. And when this album came out, and I remember. Uh, chatting with uh, my my boy Matt Bancudi, you know, he's been on the show a few times, and we were like, "Wow, this is amazing! This is definitely album of the year, or at least album of the year so far." Um, now I have considerably cooled off uh, from the record since then, um, and I think a large portion of why I was initially so hyped about it was because this is. I would say easily Slow Tie's best full-length start-to-finish project. Um, 
front to back that he's made yet. And he's kind of, I wouldn't say abandoned hip-hop, but he's embraced more of this kind of alt-rock, kind of occasionally industrial, almost punky sound that's, that's kind of lived on the fringes of all of his other efforts, but he's fully embraced it here and made it a part of his uh, music identity. And, uh, for the most part, it works. Um, yeah, a, lo- a lot of this album kind of sounds like a new metal album, which was, I'm kind of thinking is like a low-key theme of this episode. Is, uh, gonna be, is this new metal? I was thinking of, like, maybe the, the, the title of the episode would be that. But, but that was early on the month, and, and, and shit has since, since, uh, changed, and things have happened, um that have kind of shifted the theme of this episode for me. But anyway, my point being, the Slow Tie album, um, not as great as I thought it was at first. At first, I was like, oh, this is it, you know. This is the record I've been waiting for him to make ever since I heard him. And while that still technically is true, um, I think that the actual songs themselves could be a bit better. Um... He does a great job of kind of harnessing his his rage and his unhappiness into these um, you know you know very almost aggro songs. Uh, it can be a bit much at times, and at other times it can be not quite enough, which is a, an interesting problem for him to have. But it's definitely his most consistent record that he's put out so far. And he's, you know, he's made kind of a, an interesting name for himself. He's, he's got an interesting sound going on. He's got a distinct identity at this point of who he is and the music that he's trying to make. So, I feel like this is the record that he's kind of finally fully come into his own. And it's interesting hearing this kind of dark, rockist take on hip-hop music. And I describe this album to a lot of my friends as kind of like a a twisted plitch plitch <laughs> plitch a twisted pitch black version of a gorillas album. In that I mean the gorillas, you know, became popular for their way of kind of melding together hip hop with rock and pop and you know in, in, in the earlier days more kind of darker industrial kind of stuff and yeah this record does kind of sound like a like an angry version of the very first gorillas record might might just be because they're both british and have the accents but uh i mean that's a fair reason i think um so I mean, I'm a guy that, and I've said it from the get-go, this very, very beginning of this podcast, the first episode I ever, ever released, I warned y'all, I said, I have a proclivity towards darker, heavier music. And what Slow Tie's done on this record is he's made a darker, heavier album. So, I like it. <laughs> it's it. It's really as simple as that. There's there's no, you know, there's no real rocket science to this whole thing. I mean, you you take a darker, heavier tone on your shit, and it's probably gonna appeal to me. And that's exactly what happened here. I think he can do better. 
I think um yeah, I just think I, I just think the songs aren't quite strong enough. But there are there are number ones that are great, uh, especially penultimate track Tourniquet is probably the strongest song that he's ever released. And there's some great stuff on here. Uh, again, not as good as I initially thought it was, but you know, there's something to it for me to have initially felt that excitement and that initial hype when I first listened to it. So I want to make sure that I that I honor that feeling and um, you know honor him as an artist for inducing that feeling in me. Is this a record that I'm going to go back to a lot? Probably not. Um, you know, it does deal with some pretty ugly emotions. Um, so it's not something that you're like, Oh, I'm gonna put this on. Uh, but you know what? For what it is, he's done a great job. He's successfully kind of stepped into a new direction without it sounding awkward or weird. It just sounds like the path he was always meant to take. And uh, can't wait to see what happens next. So, coming in at number five from March 2023, we have Ugly by Slow Tie. Okay, so, number four for this... Fuck, it's not week. Stop that. The month is... Radical Romantics by Fever Ray. So... Fever Ray... Is the... I guess... Solo project of... Uh, Karen Dreyer Anderson who is now non-binary, so I'll make sure to correctly um, gender them when I speak. Uh, It is their third solo record, but their third in, like, 14 years. So the Fevery records have been very few and far between. The first one came out in 2009, I believe, uh, the second one, I think it was 2017, and now here we are in 2023 with a third. And it's been an interesting kind of journey because they all sound kind of similar, but they have their own subtle variations that is likely just a, a result of, you know, the aging process and the fact that these records are happening in such different places in their lives that like you know these slight variations in sound are are, are natural and, and obviously going to happen but it's impressive to have made three records over the span of 14 years and they still kind of all have that same tone and same sense of identity uh, throughout them what's really interesting too is that uh, the first Fever Ray record Karen made kind of kind of as they were dealing with new motherhood uh, a lot of the record was a result of all the time that uh, Karen kind of spent with the baby and the isolation of new motherhood and kind of dealing with that uh, postpartum depression in a lot of ways 
and it wasn't all the lows, you know, there there are a lot of highs to be gleaned from that, but it was it was a very kind of somber, solemn record uh, that not really until the last track, Coconut, did things kind of open up and brighten up and, and, and feel a little bit more optimistic. Uh, you know, a lot of the first Fevery record was dealing a lo- with a lot of the anxieties of new motherhood and, uh, you know, just kind of the, almost the claustrophobia of of uh, what it's like to be a new mom. Things have changed for Karen. Uh, and we saw that on Plunge from 2017. Uh, I guess the kid grew up enough that Karen was starting to rediscover themselves again and their sexuality and that record was one very much uh, about a rediscovery of sexuality and this record is kind of the grown up version of Plunge is what I would say Uh, it's still very much about uh, sexuality and you know rediscovering yourself as a partner and as an object of romantic interest but whereas plunge felt a lot more steeped in the kind of physical intimacy this record is a lot more about kind of emotional intimacy it feels like and uh the complexities that surround trying to find your person basically because uh, it, it's it's not easy dating, and I can't imagine it's easy dating as a, you know, 40-something-year-old with a kid and a music career, <laughs> you know? Uh, so it's a really interesting take on that. Not It's a take that we don't hear a lot of, really. I mean, there are so many songs out there about love and sex and... You know the those fleeting moments of desire and and what it's like to have new love, like you know that 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 passion and kind of dealing with the consequences of that passion. But you don't hear a lot of those kind of themes coming from middle-aged gay non-binary people. You know, so it's a very interesting kind of perspective. And you get a sense that it's 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 a very complicated world to be in. Uh, in terms of the music, we we get a nice little knife reunion on this record. Actually, the first four songs were made in collaboration with Karen's brother Olaf, and it is the you know that sibling duo that comprised the knife. So it's just nice to kind of you know have the knife back together again for old time's sake and they play with a lot of the same kind of musical textures and palettes that uh, the knife did back in their heyday and so in a way the first little part of this record is you know a knife reunion ep and it's great you know uh great to have him back and, and great to kind of feel the chemistry that these two have together when they're on record and then you have a collaboration track with uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, so ostensibly Nine Inch Nails, um, on the absolutely awesome um, Even It Out, which is a song about 
from what I understand, like, beating the shit out of or murdering uh, Karen's kid's bully. So, and, and this kind of ties into what I was saying before, how interesting it's been to kind of be a part of Fever Ray's experience. Like, I remember the Fever Ray record coming out in 2009. Um, it's my first, I, th- I guess it would have been second year of university at that point. One of my favorite records of that year. And just kind of growing alongside Karen, you know, listening to these songs about early motherhood and the challenges with that. And now I am, I'm listening to these songs that Karen's making about that same child, you know, dealing with bullies in high school. So it's cool. You know, it's, it's been cool to be kind of along for the ride and just hearing this music about a person's life. It, it, re- it reminds me of, uh, it's like that movie, that Richard Link- Linklater movie, what is it, Boyhood or whatever, the one that he filmed over, like, 15 years or whatever. It's kind of like you can listen to these records and and, and grow up with Karen and, and kind of embrace adulthood alongside Karen. Uh, it's a bit more subdued than Plunge, for sure, but definitely not as subdued as uh, the original Fever Ray record, which is, uh, in hindsight, you go back and listen to it, and it's, it's pretty dark and, and kind of creepy and weird. Uh, there's a lot more light and hope in this record. And, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a good time. It's, you know, I, I haven't even really mentioned the fact, but but Karen manages to make all these topics and all these themes into really easy to listen to pop songs, you know? Like, it's, these aren't, you know, top 40 type pop music at all, but, you know, it, it, it is basically straight up synth pop um, with, you know, obviously fun little twists along the way. But it, it's a great entry into the Fever Ray and, uh, We'll call it the Knife Extended Universe canon. Um, and, you know, Karen Dreyer Anderson, I don't know if she still goes by Anderson, so I apologize if that's uh, no longer a thing. But, you know, Karen's done an amazing job of really establishing herself, fuck, establishing themselves as one of the greatest Swedish musicians that there is. I don't know. I, I mean, I think that's fair to say at this point. If you take a look at the Knife's catalog, you take a look at the Fever Ray catalog, there we go. So, coming in at number four, for March 2023, we have Fever Ray, Radical Romantics, and uh, just want to give a shout out to um, the Devin Townsend impersonation that Karen's doing on the album artwork, Love in the Skullet. Alright, so, number three from March 2023, and I didn't even see this one coming, but here we are, is 10,000 Gex by 100 Gex. (laughs) So, if you know about the Gex, um, you probably can already figure why I'm, I'm laughing at myself already. If you don't know... 
Uh, I'll do my best to try and explain their deal. So, 100 Gex is comprised of Dylan Brady and Laura Less, who are two uh, artists <laughs> that kind of broke onto the scene with 1000 Gex, uh, kind of their debut album a few years ago. And what makes 100 Gex really interesting is the way that they've kind of created this irreverent hyperpop and hyperpop as itself is you know is as big as it can be at this point i mean it's essentially mainstream you know you've had a number of artists bring the music into the mainstream um you know thanks a lot to the efforts of sophie may she rest in peace um but hyperpop is not an underground genre anymore. Hyperpop is, I mean, in a lot of ways, pop now is hyperpop. Like, it, it's taken that on. And, and for those of you who, who don't know, hyperpop is basically just, like, weird pop. You know, pop that, uh, that has kind of been taken to its synthetic extremes, um, relying a lot upon, you know almost chip tuny and, and almost ravey sounds, um, pitch-shifted vocals, and, you know, just production that just really sounds futuristic and as synthetic as possible. That's kind of a not-great description of what it is, but it's one of those things where you know it if you hear it. Anyway, so... 100 Gex and specifically 1000 Gex was pretty instrumental in making Hyperpop as big as it is. Uh, and they, they did it in a different way where you could tell they were just kind of having fun with it. And fun is maybe the most important part of the 100 Gex experience. At the end of the day, 100 Gex is basically two pals trying to make the most fun music that they possibly can and have as good of a time doing it as they possibly can. So, the whole idea of this record was... It's, it, it's been interesting to kind of watch this album come into fruition because this is a major label debut for 100 Gex and it's been delayed a whole bunch of times and the big question has been, how can this band, quote-unquote band, take this really kind of irreverent sound and translate it into a major label debut? You know, how can they satisfy both the fans and the label who's going to want something, you know, more substantial, something that can gain some traction, something that's going to sell at the end of the day, right? And it's a weird kind of um, friction there because, uh, you know, whereas pop is, you know, very commercial and concerned for sure with sales, hyperpop is kind of the rejection of that, where it's taking, you know, the fundamentals of pop music, melody, uh, you know, catchiness, whatever it may be, and kind of flipping it on its head to make it as non-capitalistic as possible. So, 
How did these two kind of opposite forces meet in the middle to create some kind of agreement, some kind of solid ground? And the answer is kind of not exactly what I was expecting. Uh, because on this record, in a lot of ways, the Gex have kind of abandoned Hyperpop. Or maybe it's not that they abandoned it, but they are smart enough to realize that Hyperpop, as it's known today, has kind of reached its limit of what it can be. Um, so the only thing left to do is to advance it forward or to bring in something new to help it grow. And the something new in question is ska music. <laughs> uh, ska and like new metal, to be honest with you. There are guitars all over this record. And I mean, I was never a big fan of these guys before this record. So um, I couldn't tell you how many actual guitars or at least things aping guitars could be found on their their earlier releases but like this thing is full of them like one of the first instruments you hear on this record is a straight up thrash guitar um there's like a death metal breakdown on this record uh but i think the 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 key piece to really understanding what they're doing on this record is, believe it or not, it's ska music, and specifically the ska revival. So, ska came and went. Uh, a lot of people will be happy to hear that it went because it was a much maligned genre, but something's kind of happening where ska's coming back. Uh, it certainly hasn't hit kind of the fever pitch in the underground that it had back in, say, the early to mid-2000s. But Ska, Ska is kind of coming back in a big way. And for those of you who don't know, Ska is kind of that, I I don't know, I'll call it like fast reggae <laughs> mixed with punk. That's the best way of describing it, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, but Ska is one of those genres that kind of alongside new metal has been just kind of looked at as being in poor taste forever. Um, you know, it's, it's music for idiots, it's lowbrow, etc., etc., which is why it is ample and, and ripe for the Gex to pluck. You know, this is a, this is a group that kind of revels in lowbrow, and uh, they have absolutely no problem, you know, doing things and, and making music that can be conceived as, as, as stupid and silly and dumb and uh, kind of turning that into high art, you know? And what's really cool is, you know, there's new metal influences on this album. There's tons of ska all over this album. And when you think of the people that are typically associated with these genres, you think of like, you know, your your aggro, annoying, misogynistic white guys. So to hear these genres kind of be appropriated by the Gex, who, uh, you know, is comprised of, yeah, sure, a, a white guy, but also like a, a trans woman, um, 
it it kind of eliminates a lot of that baggage that the genres have and allows you to listen to it in kind of a new light, in a new lens, and it makes you realize, uh, hey, wait a minute, this music's kind of awesome, actually, <laughs> when I'm not so concerned about the douchebags that are making it, and I can just enjoy it for what it is, I'm having a great time. I mean, I, I love new metal anyway, so that's not necessarily a hurdle that I had to get over, but I'm, I'm trying to think of from, you know, people who have tastes perspective, I guess we'll say. So you need to be in a very specific frame of mind to listen to this. Like if you're feeling at all not happy, don't even bother. Like if you're not in a good mood, even in the slightest, don't bother. Like this, this is not gonna mesh with you. It's just gonna piss you off and annoy you. But if you're kind of feeling like, you know, you've got a little bit of that positivity and, and, and you're feeling good, this is like the most fun you'll have listening to an album this year, for sure. Um, this is probably the record that I've listened to the most this year. And I mean, a large part of that is because it's only 27 minutes long. But it's it's the kind of record that, if again, if you're in that frame of mind and you're willing to kind of just let yourself go along with it, you're just gonna put it on repeat. Just listen to it over and over and over again. Cause it's just, it's so silly and stupid, but oh my, it's so much fucking fun. Like, it's just, it's hilarious. Uh, like, you know, it's okay to laugh at music sometimes. And, you know, that's something that I have to remind myself a lot because you know, a lot of the stuff that I listen to a lot of the time is, is, is dark and, and, and heavy and, you know, dour and uh, dealing with really, you know, negative emotions or whatnot. But that's not all that life is, you know? Um, life's about more than that. Life is also about just, you know, having fun with your friends and goofing off, right? If you can't have that in your life, then you know I'm 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 sorry for you because you're you're missing out on a big part of what makes life fun and good. So, yeah, this album is basically a testament to that. You know, life can be fun and stupid and dumb and silly and a great time. And if you're feeling like that, then this album is the soundtrack for you. So, you know, put on your skanking shoes, order a pizza, and listen to 10,000 Gex. That's all there is to it. So coming in at number three, for March 2023, we have 10,000 Gex by 100 Gex. And I'm, I'm looking forward to 100,000 Gex, which presumably will be 10 times as awesome as this one. Okay, let's move on to the mentions now. Cue that shit. These are the mentions. Um, so I'd mentioned, kind of in my, <laughs> I'd mentioned, that's funny, in my uh, lead up to today's episode that I was going to cheat a little bit. 
and maybe talk about more albums than I'm supposed to. Uh, a lot of that's going to happen in the, the mentions today. So, uh, yep, bear with me, but we're, we're going to talk about a lot. Um, I'm going to try and do it in a timely manner, but as always, no promises. Because uh, once this mouth starts, I, I have no control over stopping it. So, you know, hoping for the best. So, let's start with the dishonorable mention. And... So, it, it's funny, like, I look back on the past two episodes for 2023, and it's been... The dishonorable mention's been a bit of a cop-out, you know? was in January, I did, like, Lil Yachty. You know, last month I did Paramore. Like, dishonorable mention is supposed to be reserved for albums that come out that, uh, you know hurt me <laughs> for lack of a better term you know records that are worse than i thought they would be or you know disappointed me in some way those other records didn't necessarily disappoint me because i didn't really i wasn't really expecting much from them anyway um they still sucked but like you know i was expecting them to suck like it wasn't a surprise that they sucked uh, but I, I just didn't really have anything else to talk about. So this month we'll have the first actual true dishonorable mention because this is a record that as soon as it was announced, I was really excited about it. And, you know, as I mentioned before, I, I can say it because I've already kind of spilled the beans on this. But a lot of times I'll, you know, reserve spaces in my ph5 list for records that haven't even come out yet because i have a fondness for the artist um and i just have high expectations for a record and sometimes i just know when i'm gonna like something you know so for this particular record i you know that's what i thought like i know i'm gonna love this record i'm excited for it i love this this artist uh so you know can't wait better make sure I leave room in my top five of March. Maybe it'll even be in album of the year running. I don't know. But just to give you a sense of how excited I was for this and therefore how disappointed I am. So the dishonorable mention for March, 2023 is, uh, fuck. What's it called? It's some annoying ass title. Um, sorry. I had to burp. Praise a Lord who chews but does not swallow, or simply hot between worlds by Eve's Tumor. Kind of a, like, I thought it was a cool album title at first, and if the album had been good, I'd been like, yeah, badass album title for sure. But since the record is so mid, I'm kind of like, really? You have this long ass fucking just insanely pretentious title for this mid as fuck music like come on you could have done better than that so here's why i don't like it uh eve's tumor has been releasing some of the most fascinating music over the past you know we're, we're getting close to uh close to a decade now uh starting out as kind of an almost vaporwave ambient type artist uh with their debut record before making uh 
Safe in the Hands of Love, which is one of the most fascinating records that's come out in the past few years. Uh, it was an interesting mix of kind of that aforementioned vaporwave ambient type music, but bringing in almost like post-punk sensibilities and bringing in a real sense of strong songwriting into the music. Like, East Tomb were starting to make actual songs at this point. Um, instead of just kind of more ambient pieces, you know, using their voice more, um, and you could see a shift was happening. Uh, that album got followed up with, uh, Heaven to a Tortured Mind, which kind of saw them fully embracing this new rockist sensibility and ostensibly making rock songs. Uh... They still had kind of touches of, you know, the more electronic music type past in, say, how the songs themselves were produced. But the transformation was more or less complete at that point. Uh, Eve's Tumor was no longer, you know, an, an experimental uh, one-person show. Eve's Tumor is now a rock band, and they followed it up with... a. Uh, the Asymptotical World EP in 2001, which was, you know, a, a lot more of the same. And I, I want to be clear, I liked Heaven to a Tortured Mind. Um, that first song that I can't remember the name of is insane. It's one of the greatest songs. Uh, that song, Kerosene, incredible, really solid record. And even the EP was great. Um, the EP actually saw East Tumor starting to work with some established songwriters, which was a really smart move, you know? Like, uh, East Tumor has the stage presence, they've got the voice, uh, you know, this was a, a sign to me that maybe they were ready to kind of move more into the mainstream. Uh, and so here we are today with the album whose title I'm not going to say again, because then we'd really be here for three hours. And I was so excited. I was like, okay, you know, they started to show on the EP that they're willing to work with outside songwriters. So what we should be getting this time is a fully developed rock sound with great songs. Um, I was right about the first part of that because this is definitely uh, the most full-fledged rock that they've sounded yet but it's also I'd say the weakest collection of songs in the East Tumor discography I've listened to this record honestly like four or five times that's how eager and desperate I was to like it to have something to latch on to but apart from maybe one song the whole thing just washes over me and, and, and leaves absolutely no impression and it's sad because again like there's so much personality in this group and there's so much swagger, you know, that, that comes out of uh, the Eve's, Eve's Tumor persona that I just don't understand how you could write something so unmemorable, you know, and, and kind of be fine with it. And I thought, you know, maybe it's just me because, you know, people that I've talked to love the album, you know, people that I respect love the album publications seem to love the album too but 
it just does nothing for me at all. Um, is there something wrong with me? Is it me? Am I the problem? Maybe. I don't know. But I can't change that. Uh, I can't change the fact that this record does nothing for me. So, it is what it is. It's disappointing. Uh, I still have hope and faith that East Tumor will release some amazing music in the future because they've released a ton of amazing music in the past. But this record is uh, boring. Hate to say it, but it's boring. It's mid and uh, yeah, it's a disappointment. So the dishonorable mention for March 2023 is Hot Between Worlds. They, they gave me that option to just say that. It's there in the title by Eve's Tumor. Okay, so the mention. All right, this is where things are going to get a little bit uh, different and weird. So I'm not going to talk about one album for the mention. Uh, I'm going to talk about four. <laughs> That's right. Why? Here's why. So... I want to kind of go on a bit of a diatribe now about the state of hardcore music and just things that I've noticed specifically over the past little while about hardcore music and how a bunch of records that came out this month are reflective of this shift that I've seen. So context for kind of how this all started. Uh, Two weeks ago, I went to a hardcore show. Um, show Me the Body was in town with uh, opening acts, Jesus Peace, Scowl, um, and Zulu. And uh, some guy named Trip Jones, but uh, I missed that set, so I'm just gonna kind of ignore that part. And this show was incredible. This was one of the best shows I've ever seen. And what was so amazing about this show in particular... So, let me rewind a little bit. I used to be fairly into um, hardcore when I was a kid. Um, I was a little, leaned a lot more towards metal, but... I, you know, I, I also loved hardcore, and I was a frequenter of a lot of hardcore shows, um, you know, back when I was 14, 15, 16 years old. So back in, back in the early 2000s. And back in those days, you would go to a hardcore show and you'd know exactly what you're getting. You're getting, you know, three or four bands full of skinny white guys, um, who were there to whine and scream about uh, terrible women in their lives or something like that, or at least perceived terrible women. Uh, the women were probably fine. These guys were the idiots. And it was a very, like, low-key slash high-key misogynist scene, um, very kind of white bread, white guy, straight white guy. And the, the audience of the shows was very reflective of that as well. You kind of just got variations of the same white guy over and over again. 
and and that's all that's that's that was the audience you know those were the people at the show those were the people playing the show that's what hardcore music was so fast forward to two weeks ago and i'm at the show and one of the first things that i notice is sure yeah there's still you know a shit ton of that kind of cookie cutter hardcore white guy there um still making up probably about 50% of the audience but the other 50% was a truly incredibly diverse group of people there were women you know there were yeah women i know crazy right um there were people of color there were tons of people of color and I'm telling you, back in those days, like, those hardcore shows that I used to go to as a kid, you'd get, like, the one brown or black guy, or, like, the one Asian girl, you know? And they'd be the, the one that was there at every show, and you'd be like, oh, hey, there's, you know, the the one, you know, different person from the rest of the crowd that, that came to every show, and it was, like... Like, it's, it's really shitty to say, but it was like, they're almost like a novelty, you know? Like, oh, look, there's, you know, like, Eric or whoever, you know? But to see it evolve to the point where we're at now, um, where it, it's not a novelty anymore and, and it's the rule instead of the exception is absolutely incredible to witness. And a large part of that is, you know, due to the lineup of this show. So, Zulu, all black, um, hardcore power violence band. Uh, Scowl, female fronted. Um, Jesus Peace, black frontman. And you really see the, you know, once you have, it's kind of, you know, life reflecting art situation where, you know, the people on stage get reflected in the audience um and the more inclusive the genre is uh the more inclusive the audience is it, it just kind of makes sense and i remember thinking to myself like this you know adoption of all these new demographics into the genre it makes so much sense because hardcore i mean fundamentally you know, started out as a means by which to expel your demons and, you know, get all the get all the harrowing shit off your chest. You know, it's almost like a therapy session. And, like, I'm sorry, but, like, privileged white guys complaining about their girlfriends uh, does not hold a candle to the harrowing shit that a lot of these women and people of color have gone through in their lives. So, like having these more marginalized communities make music that is kind of an exorcism of all the pain that they've gone through it's it's just a fucking no-brainer you know like of course these people would be able to make amazing hardcore music because what they've gone through in their lives is just so much worse than you know kevin who got you know dumped yesterday or something you know? And I'm not, like, trying to downplay, you know, white people's problems. Because, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a straight white guy. I go through some shit, for sure. But 
to see other perspectives and to hear other stories finally being told on the hardcore stage is just such a breath of fresh air. And it's exactly what the genre and what the scene needs to grow and develop and move forward. So, uh, that show happened, kind of like changed my life a little bit, um, revamped my opinion and how I look at hardcore music. And it just so happened that in the month of March, a bunch of hardcore albums came out that are very reflective of this new landscape of hardcore. So let's talk about some of them. Um, first one I'll talk about is... Uh, sorry. So, uh, Gel. Only Constant by Gel. Great kind of hardcore punk record. Uh, this one is probably the most... Um, you know, straight up hardcore of the records I'm going to talk about. Uh, but what makes, what kind of sets this apart and makes this a unique, interesting album is, uh, you know, it's fronted by a woman. There's a woman guitarist in the band. And the songs are all kind of positive and uplifting. Yeah, they're heavy as fuck. Um, you know, pretty brutal at times. But you read in the lyrics and it's not negative. It's about empowerment and, you know, positivity and, and triumph and when you look at the lyrics of a lot of the other albums I'm about to talk about now it, it's all kind of the same and that's something else that I've noticed um, in this new kind of wave of hardcore is you know these these new demographics and these new faces of the genre you know aren't content to just wallow in their despair like you know the the forebears of, of hardcore used to be. You know, these are songs of joy and songs of, of, of uplifting. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's a beautiful thing. So, Only Constant by Gel is one of them. Another one is actually the debut record by Zulu, one of the bands that I saw. Uh, the record's called A New Tomorrow. And this is a fascinating record because it kind of, uh, you know, in... You know, it has your kind of standard power violence, uh, hardcore songs, but interspersed throughout the record are these samples of reggae and of, of, of African music and a lot of spoken word poetry about the black experience in America. And, you know, a one really kind of telling key line from one of the spoken word pieces from the album is... You know, why must I only speak of my despair? Sorry, that's not the exact line. It's kind of a paraphrasing of it, but it's true. You know, when we think about black art, so much of it is just based on the hardships of being black in America and, and in the world and what, what you know, it's been throughout the years, all the hardships that they faced... But there's so much joy to the black experience as well. So, you know, why can't that be embraced? Why can't, why can't we make music about that as well? And you see Zulu touching on a lot of that. And the record itself is, is really cool. Um, what they've done is really unique. The way that they've kind of um, integrated these samples into their hardcore music. 
it's, it's just it's almost like a new kind of music entirely and it's really inspiring another record on this list that I'll talk about is uh, by a band called the HERS Collective or the H-I-R-S Collective uh, the HERS Collective um, they make songs that are very very radically anti-capitalist very very radically uh pro-LGBT, pro-POC, um, just very much for marginalized communities. It's a cool record. Uh, they call themselves a collective because they brought in guest vocalists and guest artists from so many different acts. Like, just to name a, just to name a few, you got, uh, you know, Shirley Manson from Garbage is on this record. Justin Pearson is on this record. Um... The Soul Glow guys on this record, like they brought in so many different people to kind of add to this huge, almost uh, mosaic of this is more of a screamo record for sure, uh, but this wonderful collection of heaviest fuck songs that are you know just about uplifting these marginalized communities. The band themselves contains a, a member of the trans community, and it's just so great to listen to this music and hear this music that uh, it's just so powerful and uplifting and is very, very much for these marginalized communities and, 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 and made for them by them. And lastly, uh, another record that I find that came out this month that kind of fits in this mold is uh, Post-American by MS Paint. And while the band themselves doesn't necessarily contain any um, marginalized communities, it's more about the sound here, where the whole kind of shtick of MS Paint is, you know, they're making hardcore, but they're not using any guitars. It's all synth-based. So it's just this completely new sound and a new approach to making the music, um, you know, that instead of maybe from a more ideological and lyrical standpoint, from a musical standpoint. And the point that I'm trying to make is, you know, in the month of March alone, there were four records that came out within the hardcore sphere of heavy underground music that really showcase what a kind of fruitful and... Uh, like boundary pushing genre hardcore is right now um and I, I wish you could have been at that show that I was at to see what I saw uh if you can go to a hardcore show anytime soon go because you're, you're you'll probably see the same thing that I saw and have the same experience that I did and just be bewildered by how much things have changed and what an inclusive community it is now, and, and, and what a positive thing it's become. So, again, the, uh, the, mention, the mention for the month of March 2023 is basically just the genre of hardcore and how, like, fertile it is right now for development and growth and community. Um, and to specifically call all the albums that I talked about, we had MS Paint, Post American, Gel, Only Constant, Zulu, A New Tomorrow, and The Hers Collective, 
we're still here. Uh, four great records, four heavy records, four completely different takes on hardcore, but four artists and bands that are pushing the genre forward in the best way possible. Um, yeah. Long live hardcore. Whew! So that was the mention. <laughs> and so let's move on to the honorable mention. Look at that, we're already over an hour. That's uh, to be expected, I guess. So the honorable mention will go... There's going to be two albums I'm going to talk about here as well. I know, breaking lots of rules today. That's life. Uh, the first record I'm going to talk about is... Scaring the Hose by JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown. Um, and I wanted to kind of talk about this record because I, I had really low expectations for it. And in fact, I I had, I had written it off, to be honest. I listened to the first few songs and it was just like, mm, okay, I'm, it's not doing it for me. I turned it off and moved on because uh, as I was explaining to my dear friend Bob McCulley, who is the one who convinced me to give this record a second chance and the reason why it's ending up on this podcast today, uh, you know, the position I'm in where I, I have this podcast and especially in months like March where there's just so, so much new music coming out is... Like, I've got a lot to listen to. You know what? I, I want to make sure that I'm delivering to you guys the most objective subjectivity that I can. As uh, ridiculous as that sounds. And so I want to make sure that I'm listening to as much new music as I possibly can. So that I can give you guys the best recommendations that I can. You know? Uh, and oftentimes that means that records have a very short period of time to, um, you know, inspire me or, you know, um, hook me before I say, okay, I, this isn't doing it for me. I, I'm, I'm moving on to the next thing. Um, and the first few songs, of this record are fine, but it wasn't enough for me. And so just a little bit of context about the record itself. Um, it's a collaboration between JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown. Uh, JPEG Mafia, or Peggy, as he's known to his rabid internet fan base, is, you know, a, a kind of experimental rapper. He does all of his own beats, and, you know, it's, it's a very kind of angular beats that kind of go all over the place, and his rapping is kind of similar to that. I've never been a big fan, to be honest. Uh, he's a bit too, we'll say, online for me. It's kind of like Reddit rap, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Uh, you know, rap rap for white, for white guys who are on the internet too much. Um, so... I, again, I wasn't really initially interested in checking it out anyway. Um, Danny Brown used to be my favorite rapper, for sure. Triple um, X, still probably one of my favorite rap records of all time. Fall Up Old was great, but even the Atrocity Exhibition, I appreciated more than I actually listened to. 
And his last record, you know what I'm saying, did nothing for me at all. So I, I've kind of completely fallen off the Danny Brown thing over the years. Still love the guy as a personality, but as an actual rapper, artist, couldn't really care less at this point. So I had low expectations for the record to begin with, and when the first few songs didn't quite do it for me, I moved on. But it was just yesterday, in fact, that Bob messaged me and insisted that I check the album out. And I explained to him, I tried, didn't really work for me. And he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> How far did you get? And I told him I only got a few songs in, and he's like, the, the record doesn't really pick up until the fourth song or so. Which is coincidentally the song that I did not quite make it to. So because I respect him so much, I said, okay, fine. I will find time to squeeze another listen in uh, to give my due diligence. And shout out to Bob. He was right as always because I gave another listen and he was absolutely right. Once that fourth track kind of comes around, the record just kind of shifts to a different gear and the rest of the album is awesome. Uh, the beats are crazy. Um, some of the most interesting rap beats that I've heard on any record and Bob was right. He told me the kind of the latter half of the album, the whole thing kind of flows together almost like a DJ set. And that's what this feels like. Uh, the first few songs are very songy, but then, you know, the whole thing kind of flows together in a really neat way, uh, after that point. And the record gets really good. Um, my one big issue, Bob said the same thing, is that the vocals are mixed weirdly quietly. Uh, I can't make out a lot of what they're saying, um, which is kind of a shame because, you know, these are two guys that have a tendency to say some wild shit. So I'm sure I would, I, I'd love to know what they're saying because again, like they're crazy. The things they say are crazy. The music's crazy. So it only add more to it. But that being said, I'm sure a lot of it would kind of come off as a little bit cringy to me as well. So in ways, I'm kind of glad it's kind of the uh, the vocals are buried in the mix that way, because I'm sure a lot of the time it's like, mm, I, I don't even want to know what they're saying. But, you know, I will I, I, I got to give it up. The the, you know, last three quarters of the album are fantastic. It's a wild ride and kind of reinvigorated my interest in these two artists. So, shout out to Bob for inspiring me to give this record a second chance. It was worth it. Um, yeah, so the first honorable mention for May 2023. May, uh, for March 2023, is Scaring the Hose by Danny Brown and JPEG Mafia. You see what I'm saying, though? It's just so, like, online, you know? Like, even the title... It's just so on the nose, like, oh, you know, it's, it's annoying, but if you can look past that, you'll enjoy the record. Second honorable mention is Good Luck by Debbie Friday. So Debbie Friday is a Canadian artist, shout out. She's currently based here in uh, Toronto. And she's kind of like a genre omnivore. Um, and this album sees her taking on a bunch of different genres, like hip-hop, um, R&B, kind of like almost post-punk, industrial. 
Um, but she does so in a, in, in a relatively tasteful way that really successfully merges all these genres together. And, uh, you know, for, I believe it's a, her debut, she, it's really strong. Um, it's not a great record by any means, but it's a very promising one. It's, this is obviously her doing her best to kind of showcase how well she could kind of jump between all these different genres. And, um, to me it feels like an appetizer, it feels like a showcase, like, here's what I can do, um, you know, give me more money and, and more, more, you know, maybe talent on the back end to work with, and I can make something really, really great. Uh, there are some occasionally cringeworthy lyrics on the album, but the thing is, I, I kind of appreciate that, because it's cringeworthy because she's she's really trying her hardest. Um, it's not cringeworthy because it sucks. It, it's cringeworthy because, um, yeah, she, you can tell she's really giving it her all. And it, it doesn't quite succeed all the time, but you still have to respect it. It's commendable. And this is the kind of record, again, that I think is uh, just a foreshadowing of things to come. And I would say that the next Debbie Friday record is going to be incredible and one of the best of the year of whatever year that comes out. You heard it here first on PH5. So, the second honorable mention for March 2023 is Debbie Friday, Good Luck. And uh, good luck to her uh, for the uh, rest of her music career. And those are the mentions. These are the mentions. Okay. You're still listening? Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. Um, okay, let's finish it off. Two more records to go. So, coming in at number two for March 2023, we have Fawn slash Brute by Katie Gately. So, Katie Gately is an Australian artist, um, and she makes what I'm just going to say blanket term, um, art pop. Uh, it's definitely, you know, pop music, but she approaches it from just a completely different kind of mindset that, you know, most mainstream pop artists think of it. And it's not like hyper-pop either, we kind of went over that. That's not what this is either. Uh, you know, this is really, really fascinating, interesting music that uses lots of unexpected sounds and, and different layers and um, kind of unexpected structures in order to create music that sounds really good and is really catchy and listenable. So. The album, if you can kind of guess from the title, is kind of split into two fairly distinct sections. Um, the first half, uh, the fawn half, if you will, being a little bit more lighter and more whimsical, where the second half, the brute half, getting a little bit darker and a little bit more abrasive. Um, believe it or not, I like the second half more. Who saw that coming? Um, 
but both halves are just immaculately pieced together and it's the kind of music that is catchy enough that it makes you just want to listen to it out of pure almost hedonistic impulse but it is detailed and intricate enough in its composition and production that you know you can listen to it for you know the good time of just enjoying the music or you can listen to it from a more um i don't know i guess i'll say analytical point where you're you're trying to listen carefully to pick out all the little pieces that comprise the the music that you're hearing all the interesting instrument choices all the interesting production choices that uh come together to make this music um she's been putting out records for quite a while now um but this is easily her best thing like um it's the sound of an artist taking that leap to the next level um I don't necessarily know if it's going to be the one that, you know, gives her a big breakthrough. Um, but it's the kind of record that should, you know, uh, if, you know, given to the right people, put in the right hands, given the right marketing, I don't see why this couldn't be one of the biggest kind of underground art pop releases of the whole year. So the... Apparently, lyrically, thematically, the album deals a little bit with uh, almost like fairy tales. Uh, I believe Katie Gately just recently became a new mom. So a large part of that is probably based on, you know, being influenced by being a new mother. But to be honest, like, I haven't really read too much into the lyrics themselves. Uh, But if you're a lyrics person... Um, cough, cough, Veronica, I know you're listening. Uh, you'll probably have a lot to love here and a lot to kind of pick through and kind of, um, reflect on and think about. You know, apparently the lyrics are like kind of darker fairy tales or, or something like that. I don't know, okay? Again, that's not my thing. It's never been my thing. But what I do know is that I listen to this album and I'm just really interested in what I'm hearing. Uh, She's got a great voice, a great knack for melody, but also a great ear for interesting production choices. And there's this one part in particular, like I liked the album, was enjoying it. And then this one song on the second half came on called Meat. And there's a part um, about two thirds of the way through the album that she kind of does this little 10 second breakdown and I literally stopped and was like, whoa, what the fuck was that? And I played it over again and I played it over again and it was just like, I've never heard anything like this before. This is so cool. And it's it's that kind of moment that made me, okay, like I want to listen to this again and listening through the whole record, uh, there were just tons of moments like that. They weren't as in-your-face like that one part in the Meat song was, but the record is filled with a lot of those little nuggets of, you know, nuggets of inspiration, I guess I'll call them. Um, me and my, my friend Matt, we, we, we talk about how 
like how important like moments in a songs are you know like you know there's different ways of looking at the idea of a hook you know there's the melodic hook um that you know just is pure like dopamine release because of the science of, of music or whatever but then there's these like moments that are just so cool and interesting you want to hear them again and you want to try to understand how it is that they even made this sound and there's just so much of that going on in this record uh i've only listened to the record three times i think but it's already become one of my favorite of the whole year and i'm gonna put it on as soon as i'm done this podcast because i can't wait to listen to it again and see what else i can pick up from it uh yeah so coming in at number two for the month of march 2023 we have fawn slash brute by katie gately Okay, last but not least, certainly not least, the number one album, PH5, for March 2023, is 93696 by Liturgy. Now, that's not a phone number, folks. That's the name of the album. So... Liturgy. If you know Liturgy, you're probably over there shaking your head like, of course, he would... But if you don't know Liturgy, let me try to explain this extraordinarily fascinating band. So, Liturgy started out as a (laughs) band, obviously, um, that made what the front person at the time described as transcendental black metal. Uh... Yeah. (laughs) Sounds uh, fairly pretentious, but you don't even know the half of it. So, started by, uh, at the time they were known as Hunter Hunt Hendrix. Um, uh, Hendrix has since uh, come out as trans, and uh, she now is known as uh, Ravena? Ravena? I don't know. It's a cool name. I, I just don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, but the music is this interesting, well, it started out anyway, as this interesting style of black metal that used what, uh, Hendrix referred to as burst beats, not blast beats. But, so, oh my god, it's just so much to explain with this band. So, Hendrix has basically created a new religion. <laughs> and if you want to take the time to read into it, she is really, really uh, gone into extraordinary detail about this religion. It's basically what her entire life is about. Um, is this kind of religion that she's created. Uh, and all of the Liturgy albums have been kind of about it. And Liturgy is actually a great name for this band because the music itself is the Liturgy for this religion, if you will. I I can't even begin to scratch the surface on what this religion encompasses. I've tried reading into it. There are there are literal doctrines out there that she has published on it. 
I cannot wrap my head around this shit at all. So I'm not going to try to. But the religion has become this kind of guiding force for liturgy's music. And the first two records, um, Renolation and the other one, which I can't remember the name of, were kind of these interesting variations on black metal, but still in a lot of ways kind of adhered to uh, a lot of the, you know, fundamental principles of black metal. But then the third record came out in, I think it was 2015 or 2016, the arc work. And all of a sudden, liturgy was something different. Something that was using a lot of um, MIDI textures and a lot of electronic elements uh, kind of combined with that quote-unquote transcendental black metal. And this represented a big turning point for the band uh, where all of a sudden it kind of seemed like anything was possible. Um, Hendrix did away with uh, the kind of screamed vocals for that record and did more of like a yelling slash talking on that record, which was a fascinating um, choice for sure. Turned a lot of people off. I loved it. That was one of my favorite records that year. And, um, you know, because I, I, I can always appreciate a weird choice, you know? Um, it's so easy to make an obvious choice, uh, especially in a genre with kind of as strict guidelines as black metal does. But to hear her say, fuck all that, I'm going to do it my way, I found it to be very inspiring. And as time has gone on, uh, she's just embraced that more and more. Um, she released a record called HAQQ in, uh, I think it was like 2020, maybe 2019, that uh, embraced a lot more of those kind of electronic and bringing in more almost orchestral elements. Uh, there was the origin of the Alimonies record that came out right after uh, Hendrix came out as trans, which was kind of a celebration of that. And then here we are, 2023, with the definitive liturgy statement, 93696. I don't know what the numbers mean, but what I can tell you is that this record is 80 minutes long. It's a double album. Um, that has songs that are just a children's choir. It has songs that are 15 minutes long. It has songs that are basically just like a clarinet. Like there's so much going on on this record. It is stupidly ambitious, but if you kind of let yourself go and give yourself into it, you, you can't help but just admire the pure conviction that is this record. Um, it's just insanely ambitious what's going on here. It's uh, the way that she's able to kind of mix this very unique style of black metal with orchestral music mix it with um, with everything like <laughs> art rock with 
you know, electronics. They're, they kind of devolves into hip hop beats in um in in one part. Like there's so so much going on in this record, and like I, I to be 100 honest, I've only listened the whole thing through maybe twice because it's such an undertaking. It's it's 80 minutes long. Like it's 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 the length of a feature length movie. Hell, it's as long as this fucking podcast. Um, so you need to really just like buckle up for the ride. And it's not one of those, you know, records where, oh, you can pick out a song like, oh, I like this one. This is the one I'm going to listen to. Or, you know, I'm going to listen to this one today. You really just need to take it in for the full experience of what it is. And I understand that we all live these busy lives. We all... You know, we're all doing shit all the time. We've got a lot going on, blah, blah, blah. Who really has the time to sit down and listen to an 80-minute long experimental black metal album? (laughs) Right? You probably don't. I get that. I, I totally get that. I understand. But I'm telling you, if there's anything about this that sounds even remotely interesting to you, carve out that space and do it. Because... This album is an experience from front to back. Uh, easily the most ambitious thing that has been released this year in any genre. And you just have to respect it, really. You have to respect the sheer dedication, the conviction, the creativity, the just... Whatever it is that drives Hendrix to create this music, you know this religion that she's created like she believes in that shit more than i can think of anyone believes in anything and this is the record that fully embraces that belief to its maximal extent and wow is it ever fascinating so is this a record that i'm going to listen to over and over and over again this year no like that's impossible I can't do that (laughs) but is it the record that's impressed me the most this year yeah I would I would I would say that for sure um it's just an astounding feat at the end of the day so coming in at number one for March right yes March 2023 is Liturgy 93696. Okay, well, uh, as we approach the 90-minute mark, just want to say thank you for somehow sticking with me throughout this very long episode. My throat is dying, but, you know, it wasn't three hours. Like, I thought there was really a possibility it would go that long, so I'm actually kind of proud of myself, you know? I, uh, I was compact. A nine, a, a tight 90, we'll call this. So, thank you as always for listening. Um, it's getting warm again. We're going into summer. It's a great feeling. Can't wait to see what the rest of the year has in store. I hope all the best. I hope all is well. I hope all... Okay, I can't even talk anymore. I'm, uh... My brain is fried. I'm jumbling my words. I'm just going to call it. Thank you for listening. This is Phil May signing off, PH5. Bye-bye.